All right, let's bow our heads. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you so much for this incredible privilege of gathering together as family. Thank you so much for truth that sets us free, Father, and thank you for your patience, your mercy, and most of all, your love, love expressed through grace towards each one of us as individuals, but also corporately in this body of your Son, the body of Christ, Father. What a privilege it is to be made a part of it, to be made new, to be born again into your family, to be adopted as sons and daughters, Father, as royalty. May we be encouraged by this, Father, always. May we never become familiar with it, but rather embrace it for all that it is, your good will in our lives. Father, we pray for those that can't be with us this morning due to illness or other reasons. Father, we just pray that you bring them back to us in your good timing. And we pray also for those that are still lost in this world, Father, that before it's too late, that they be humbled, repent, and receive saving faith, Father, so that we might have additional brothers and sisters in Christ for all of eternity. Father, we just ask for your blessings on this message. May it be edifying for our souls. We ask this in Jesus Christ's precious name. By the power of the Spirit, we do pray. Amen. Again, the Lord is our confidence, part 57. Uh, hopefully, uh, you all read the blog, which was titled, Context Demanded. Context Demanded. It went out on Saturday. Uh, some of you already know the little secret that you can read it on Friday uh, as well, but it goes out in an email um, on Saturdays, and it was titled, Context Demanded. I'm going to share an email I got from Tammy on this one. Uh, it reads, or read, in response to the blog, Amen. How much is lost today through emails and text messages when you can't see a person's body language or hear their tone? Without context, we can't truly fully grasp what the other person that we are trying to relate to actually means. The same goes for God's Word. We are masters at taking His Word out of context to suit our wants and even our needs, or so-called needs. Thank you for continuing to share your insight into biblical truths, Tammy. So, I hope that you are all encouraged. And this particular person obviously lives with me, God help her, right? And she still chooses to write to her pastor. Does that make sense? She still chooses to write to that office. And I think that speaks volumes, not just to her, but how the Spirit chooses to encourage us. How He goes about encouraging each one of us and how He uses each one of us as individual vessels. Are you not encouraged by that? Well, what if she had never taken the time to write it? Or anybody that writes. Diane is another person. She wrote me a beautiful email as a response too. And for whatever reason, I received probably about twice as much feedback on this blog than normal. So if you haven't read it, please do. Uh, obviously, it was something you all needed to hear uh, and just so you know, I think the blog, I want to see the blog's up to about 330, 330 subscribers. The Kids Corner is up almost to 600. Yeah, so we have about 1,000 people, roughly, um, that receive uh, these newsletters and these blogs. Um, so just be encouraged and know that individuals are really being touched by them. Pray for it. Pray for my own strength. Uh, that I stay out of the way, that I communicate whatever it is the Spirit wants me to communicate in those blogs. Um, it's a supernatural gift, and so be encouraged. I do want to, though, before we get back into our mainstream study, I want to highlight um, a few things from our apologetics message on Wednesday. First, I love this from uh, Ravi Zacharias up here on the board. There is no point in handing someone a rose after you've cut their nose off. Right? And that, I know a lot of you have come from a background that was religious. And religious people tend to be uh, aggressive. 
and that would be the cutting off of the nose. So it's really hard to get through to someone if the first thing you do is wound them. There's nothing wrong with the truth wounding their flesh. But if you're out of line and you wound them personally because you're a jackass, because you're being religious, that's a problem. And that's all Ravi's saying, right? Keep that stuff in check. So that's great wisdom from a humble man of God and definitely worth pondering the next time you are in front of someone with a weaker uh, constitution, which really describes every, every lost soul on this planet. Another point from the apologetic special worth reiterating here, the point of warfare is to kill your enemy. The point of Christianity is to win your enemy. Again, it doesn't mean that there isn't conflict. We know that there is. That sparks fly. Blades crash. Uh, we have to don the full armor of God. We know that we're in a war. But ultimately, we're supposed to be trying to win our enemy, not just kill them off. Another wonderful point to ponder. I'd also like to quote from Francis Chan from that message on the topic of fanaticism. I'm sure he and any other person that publicly uh, pronounces Christ as Lord uh, the way he does is called a fanatic. And his response is, he's preparing to meet God and be in his presence for millions of years while others are killing themselves to prepare for 20 to 30 years of retirement. Who's really fanatical? On the topic of probability, we were given this. This is a great book, by the way. I read it years ago by James Perloff, Tornado in a Junkyard. Would you ever think a tornado could go through a junkyard and assemble a perfect 747 jet? And then if it did, per chance, would you fly in it? Probably not. And then finally, on the topic of science, since many of the so-called, you know, good arguments on the street nowadays are rooted in science against the Bible, the Spirit brought up the topic of morality, something science has really no part in up here on the board. Science doesn't tell us right or wrong, it just makes observations. And I was thinking about that because that's one of the great errors, if you're, if you're wise to the world. Again, science doesn't tell us right or wrong. In other words, it really has no place in morality. It just makes observations. I would add that it is supposed to. It's supposed to just make observation, but it strays often and in fatal ways. And here's the kicker. To its own system of thinking. That's an egregious error that a lot of scientists make and then impose upon the unsuspecting they make you think that they're that much smarter than you, that their wisdom can bleed over into other aspects, including the spiritual, and that is an egregious error. This is minimally, terribly dishonest. If you spend even five minutes considering the scientific method and then comparing it against what some of these so-called scientists propose as truth, you'll see what I'm talking about here. And I was thinking about that angle. I wonder if we all shouldn't be asking one basic question about these people. Instead of them being given sort of carte blanche ability to try to put us on our heels, I wonder if we shouldn't be asking one particular question to put them on their heels. My question to them is, should they even be calling themselves scientists? Should they? I mean, science is the basis. Scientist just means a practicer of it. Should they be calling themselves a practicer, a practitioner, if you would, of science, if they don't abide by their own rules? Here's a good analogy. Well, loose, but hopefully you get it. If I tell you I'm an accomplished cyclist, but in every race I've ever entered, I've used one of those little motors on the back wheel. You know, brrr, and I'm like flying by everyone. What say you of my claim? To an honest, hardworking cyclist, 
they'd immediately dismiss my claim, stating, you're not a cyclist because you don't follow our rules for cycling. You're not a cyclist. Hmm. Might we say the same thing about these so-called scientists that depart from their own rules of science? Claiming great advances in knowledge and insight and even into the spiritual or moral realm. Hmm. Might we have the right to say you're not a scientist when you speak outside of the boundaries of your vocation? In fact, you're no better than the cyclist who claims superior accomplishments outside of the rules of the sport. I wonder how many scientists would be infuriated if I walked up to them and said, you're not a real scientist because you're dishonest, even by your own scientific definitions. Just food for thought. Again, thanks to Michael for listening to the Spirit and giving us all that apologetic message or lesson on Wednesday. With that said, We've got to pick up where we left off last Sunday. Recall that we are midstream in our ascent out of the mine shaft after a really deep dive. We're on part 57. We're midstream. We're coming out. Deep dive, 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 dive. Coming back out, looking at the writing on the wall. So as we sort of come down, we have all these messages. We sort of make notes on the walls. And then eventually he says, come back out. We've got somewhere else to go. We've got another green pasture to visit. But before we do that, it's really nice and uh, encouraging that the Spirit gives us that time to synthesize on the way out, to revisit some key points. And that's what we're in the middle of doing with the Lord is our confidence. Last Sunday, the Spirit spent a lot of time encouraging us in myriad ways. Here's a quick glance at what he covered. It began with the simple fact that God sees fit to gather this congregation together regularly, in a beautiful chapel like this one. Have you become familiar? How about that for encouragement? How about, I, I guarantee you, I know it's that way for me. I drive up and there's always two cars here. My mother's little gray Corolla that's all banged up because she can't seem to make one corner, right? And then Todd's, which has like a bazillion thousand miles on it, somehow it's still alive. So I got these two cars, these two people who I've loved my entire life here before I get here. You know how encouraging that is as a pastor? And then shortly after, Don and Ann stroll in with, like, I don't know why they have so much coffee. But Don walks in with a tray of coffee. I'm like, Don, who are those even for? Are you going to, like, pound them before service? And it's very encouraging, the routine. Right? There's a, there's a, there's a, a cadence to the spiritual life. And I think you can get familiar with it. I think it'd be easy for me to just drive up, slam my truck into park, walk with my head down, go in my office, and then just come out when it's time. But the Spirit's always doing this. Look around. Look at the beauty in the parking lot. Look at the beauty when you get here. Look at the beauty. Every, you know, my office is right there. Some of you are really loud, by the way. Just saying. Oh, hey! Right? Bring it in. Come through before you start, you know. But I hear you all coming up, talking. Uh, I hear the cars pull up. I hear Billy's alarm go off. <laughs> I hear all this. To me, it's beautiful. Billy drives an hour to get here. Right? So what if his alarm goes off? It's not intentional. Every so often. So what? I'm encouraged. They drive an hour. Brenda's like, me too, just saying. And I have to drive in the car with Billy, so that's like extra. <laughs> the point is that God sees fit to gather this congregation, this family together, in a place like this, and it's a beautiful thing. That alone ought never be overlooked, but rather used as a constant source of encouragement. So I want to read some Holy Scripture now. Go to Hebrews 10, verse 19. 
Hebrews 10, verse 19. Hebrews 10, 19. Just some more on the topic of encouragement. Verse 19, Therefore, brothers, since we have confidence to enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus, by the new and living way, verse 20, by the new and living way that he opened for us through the curtain, that is, through his flesh. And since we have a great priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a true heart and full assurance of faith, with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who has promised is faithful. And let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works. Don't please don't miss that. Please don't miss that. You just had a man, a terribly flawed man, encourage you, did you not? For about five minutes straight. What do you call that? I call that verse twenty four. I call that a man of God taking the opportunity, as long as it's called today, to encourage all of you, to stir you up, to stir up one another to love and good works. Not neglecting to meet together, as is the habit of some. Not neglecting to meet together, as is the habit of some. The first instance of that is often church. We're always open. Very seldom do we even cancel class. So be here. Don't neglect to assemble together, as is the habit of some. But encouraging one another, and all the more as you see the day drawing near. What the Spirit's been encouraging in each of us is to remember certain things about our calling. He's been using key phrases to keep us tethered to this type of thinking like higher calling or even doctrinal terminology like election and predestination. These are the terms, the thoughts that keep us tethered to this calling, all in an effort to gather us together in the unity of the faith as a family under heaven. I think it's easy to forget how special of a bond we all share with each other. Assuming you're saved. But I think it's easy to forget what that bond looks like and how special it really is. Who cares what the world supposes ought to be true about our relationship with each other? Who cares? Our blessing is in keeping it simple and pure with our eyes on Christ. And when we're all marching to the beat of the same drum, we begin to see the forest through the trees. We begin to see past the ugly warts and irritating habits of others in this congregation. We begin looking past the superficial things about our brothers and sisters in Christ. And we begin to see the thing that matters most, that we are indeed members of one body, one family. And there is strength in this, my friends, and a certain brand of confidence, to echo the theme of our series, a certain brand of confidence. Don't you feel confident coming to your family on a Sunday morning like this? I do. Where else am I going to go? The mall? My unbelieving family? My unbelieving friends? Where am I going to go? How confident am I going to be in that company? What fellowship do I have with that 
What fellowship does lightness have with darkness? If the only proposition is darkness, that I'm walking into the lion's den, what's that going to do? How's that going to erode me relative to this that we're doing right now? That's work. This is rejuvenation. This is peace. This is love. This is family. This is what it's supposed to be, my friends. Don't ever become familiar with it. You know, the kingdom of darkness knows all this, and it tries to separate us. Go to Mark 3.25. Mark 3.25. This beauty, the kingdom of darkness tries to destroy it. Satan doesn't want you to... (laughs) Satan doesn't want you to know what I just taught in the last 10 minutes. He's got everything set up against that thing. Mark 3.25 And if a house is divided against itself, that house will not be able to stand. If a house... That's right, Abe Lincoln did not coin that phrase. He ripped it off, and as far as I know, he never gave credit to the Bible, but that's another story. If a house is divided against itself, that house will not be able to stand. Those are Jesus' own words, by the way. Paul warned us similarly. Go to Romans 16, 17. Romans 16, 17. Paul, a direct disciple, taught personally by the Lord Jesus Christ, warned us similarly. Romans 16, verse 17. I appeal to you, brothers, to watch out for those who cause divisions. That's a warning flare. Watch out for those who cause divisions and create obstacles contrary to the doctrine that you have been taught. Avoid them. For such persons do not serve our Lord Christ, but their own appetites, their own lusts, their own motivations. For such persons do not serve our Lord Christ, but their own appetites. And by smooth talk and flattery, they deceive the hearts of the naive. Be careful. Be very, very careful. Even in this church, you have to be careful. I'm very, 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 very vigilant on your behalf. So I tend to sniff things out like that, and I'll take care of it. But you're only here, what? Even if you go to the Bible studies, that's still only three hours a week. What is it, Michael, 168? We'll go with that. I think that's what it is, actually. It's 168 a week. Three? Three out of 168? Hmm. The best defense you've got is the Word of God, is the light of truth, being able to see the enemies. And if you're mature like some of you are, the enemy doesn't come at you uh, like this. Here I am! They befriend you. They seduce you. They use every angle to get to you. They're nice. They're kind. They're fun-loving. They tell funny jokes. They smile a lot. What do you expect from the enemy? Our enemy is an efficient killer. Watch out. That's what Jesus said. That's what Paul was writing about. With so many pitfalls, we need to keep our eyes on the prize, lest we fall headlong into one. Go to Ephesians 4, verse 1. Ephesians 4, verse 1. Some of you are being seduced right now, and you don't even know it. You haven't identified it yet. Keep an eye out. Be cautious. Be careful. Ephesians 4, verse 
one. The kingdom of darkness is trying to separate you from this family. Not just the body of Christ at large, but also this family. If we have strength and confidence as a result of this grace gift, what do you think the kingdom of darkness is going to do? Who do you think they're going to send in? A moron? Or someone with words smooth as butter? Whose heart is war? Who do you think they're going to send? Someone unappealing or someone appealing? Who do you think is going to be sent? Hmm. Ephesians 4.1 I therefore, a prisoner for the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called, with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. There is one body and one Spirit, just as you were called to the one hope that belongs to your call, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all who is over all, and through all, and in all. So ask yourselves right now, why God in His infinite wisdom has brought you all here this morning to this church on this day? It's a really good question, considering the fact that God has never made a mistake. If you hear, you're supposed to be hearing. It was ordained from eternity past that you heard this message, that the contents of this message be inserted into your soul. Good, bad, or ugly. Whether some of you are going, la, 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 doesn't matter. You're meant to be here. Seeds are being planted. Let's allow Holy Scripture to give us confidence on this answer. Go to verse 11, same chapter. How about verse 11? And he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds and teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for the building up of the body of Christ, until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. Let me give you a little more insight contextually up here on the board, the unity of the faith. And you notice it's the unity, not just a unity, it's the unity. There's only one unity, and that's in Christ Jesus that we care about, the unity of the faith. This unity reinforces our personal confidence in Jesus Christ as Lord. To be around like-minded believers is a grace gift from above something we ought never become familiar with. In other words, look at the passage we just read. He ordained spiritual gifts, empowered by His Spirit, to bring unity to the body of Christ. The exact opposite, the thing that the kingdom of darkness is opposed to completely. Why? Because the good Lord, the good shepherd, knows that There's strength in keeping the flock together. You don't see a shepherd having sheep on different continents, do you? No. You see them all ganged together. And he moves them all at once in a unity. And the kingdom of darkness is constantly, hear my voice, constantly trying to separate you from the flock. Constantly. I'm dealing with it right now in more than one situation in this congregation. People being dragged away or people being seduced away. As far as I'm concerned, I'm not going to let it happen. As far as it depends on me, it's not going to happen on my watch. I'll at least confront it. It's not going to happen. It happens all the time, though, these attacks. You understand? It requires a constant vigilance. It's why he empowered this gift. This is why we're called pastors and shepherds. Why? Because you're a dumb sheep. I'm being serious. You're prone to the wares, if you would, and the schemes of the devil. He's not dumb. You are. 
Your deliverance is in the Word of God. You want to be encouraged? You want to have peace in your life? You're doing it. You're finding it now. You're hearing the Spirit's encouragement this morning. This is how it's done. And by the way, I'd like to emphasize the word Lord here also, as it was chosen very specifically here. Lord implies mastership. Given the Bible teaches us that we are always a slave. A good master is just about the greatest blessing on earth we could ever hope for. A good master keeps a protective eye on his subjects. In our case, our master is also our great shepherd, who's ordained men like myself to look after his flock, to protect them, to protect you personally. There isn't a person here that I don't know something about, that I don't have my eye on, and don't think I'm creepy. It's not the point. I watch a lot more than you think I watch. And I see it all. And he gave me supernatural discernment to understand what's actually going on. My job is to protect you, personally even. And as Ephesians 4 explains it, his spirit, the spirit of Christ, instructs his under-shepherds to teach the encouraging things found in the word regarding unity. Why? Love. Truth be told, love. The good Lord loves his own and wants to bless them. Doesn't want to see you separated from his blessings. To be separated from the flock, from the body, experientially, is to be separated from the blessings. He's trying to bless you out. He wants you to stay in the fold, not be dragged away. That's where the blessings are. That's what we've learned. 57 parts, people. And going. So the good Lord loves his own and wants to bless them. Bless them with encouraging confidence in each of them. Something that increases as we mature in the faith. Let's continue again. Verse 13. You're still Ephesians 4, right? All right, 13. Until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God to a mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, so that, don't miss that, so that, why? So that, we're answering that question. Why? Why did God bring you here this morning? So that we may no longer be children, tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness and deceitful schemes. Rather, speaking the truth in love, you see, that's our currency, right? Truth. Grace, grace and truth, the very fullness of Christ, John 1.14, that's our currency. Speaking the truth in love, we ought to grow up in every way, to mature in other words, to grow up in every way into Him who is the head, into Christ, from whom the whole body, joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped, when each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. Love is the motivator and also ultimately the tie that binds us all together. Again, to this week's blog up here on the board, love requires context for it to be perfected, for it to be matured. It requires context. If we suddenly decide to refuse to gather together, for example. What might we expect to happen? Specifically, I don't know, what about the context of that love? I tried to describe it with our getting together this morning. But what about those people who decided to do something else this morning? Something unholy. Something against the will of God because they've been separated from the flock. Where's the context? 
what happens to the reality that is the encouraging nature of getting together and fellowshipping this way? What happens to that, for that person? I'm not saying you can't be out for illness. God's got you covered. If you're still oriented to God, there are other grace ways that he, he blesses you out. But what about the person who's being seduced away? What about that person who's antagonistic to God's will, who really is sinning at that point? What about the, what about the blessings there? What does the Bible say? Jesus Christ said, Keep my commandments, you abide in my love. You abide in my love, you will keep my commandments. Remember? What happens if you jettison yourself from his commandments? You tell me what that looks like experientially. So if we suddenly decide to refuse to do this one simple thing, for example, like gathering together, what will we expect to happen? I'll let you all dwell on that this afternoon on your own time, but it should be obvious based on this morning's message so far. One last passage on why the holy God of the universe has brought you here this morning. Go to Hebrews 3.13. Hebrews 3.13. Hebrews 3.13. Hebrews 3.13, but exhort or encourage one another every day, as long as it is called today, that none of you may be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. For we have come to share in Christ, if indeed we hold our original confidence firm to the end. The very phrase, every day, has a lot uh, impregnated into it, doesn't it? Every day. What does that mean to you? I mean, is there a way to slip out of that? Like, uh, I'm going to go every other day. I'm going to go every week. I'm going to try to find some weird loophole in the original language that says, oh, it's every month. It doesn't mean every day. That was just a translational error. The correct translation is every year. No. The correct translation is right there in front of you. Every day. Once again, I'll let you, each of you, take that home with you to ponder. Just remember the anchor verse from last Sunday up here on the board, Romans 1.12. That is, that we may be mutually encouraged by each other's faith, both yours and mine. Encouraged by each other. That's the interplay. That's the goodness of this kind of fellowship. And it's a grace gift. And to have it led specifically by yet another grace gift, a a spiritual gift, just, what, amplifies it? Locks it in? I want you all, listen up, please. I want you all to think about your attitudes right now. And make sure you're totally honest with yourself. I mean, it's a silly proposition not to be because God sees the heart, right? Be totally honest with yourself. Before I began teaching this morning, why were you here? And be honest. And don't play that trick. Oh, but I was here for all the right reasons. I I brought my apple cobbler. And I put my envelope in the, the the basket back or the box back there. And, um, you know, I wore my Sunday best. And uh, I'm just a swell guy. No, stop it. Stop being ridiculous. Why were you here before this message? Think back now. Hasn't been that long. What's it been at? 40 minutes, 45 minutes, something like that. Why were you here? Why did you show up? And what was your motivation? Not just your primary one either. Any little, you know, other ones. 
but maybe it's your primary one that's under scrutiny. Was it purely for self? Or were there, were there other reasons? Say, like, I'd like to encourage this or that person. In other words, did you head to church this morning for selfish reasons or selfless ones? Did you perchance say, I can't wait to be fed, both physically and spiritually, and then go home to watch TV? Or did you say, I can't wait to see what God's got in store for me today as I fellowship with other members of the body of Christ in the unity of the faith? Now, I know people don't talk like that, but you know what I'm saying. Was that your motivation? I hope you get the point. Before the Spirit began convicting you with this message, what was your motivation? Because that actually is what God cares about. That's actually what God cares about. You want to hear? I'll tell you a little story here off the cuff. My mom and I were talking about this. I happened to come here the other day because of the computer situation on a Saturday. It was Saturday, right, Mom? Yeah, and my mom happened to be here, didn't even know. So I came on Saturday and was fixing things up. And uh, when I was in the eighth grade, I was a mess. I mean, not kind of a mess. I mean, like, mess ready to jump off a building mess. Destitute, depressed. And I said, I, I said to my mom, I said, uh, I, I can't do this anymore. Like, and I, I still think you gave me that prayer, right? There was this goofy prayer. I'm not even going to mention it. But it was something that if you said it nine times, either once or twice, I forget what it was. If you said it so many times a day, you would get that thing here. I think it was called St. Jude's Novena, something like that. Does it matter? Not really, because the Bible says don't do that thing. But here's the thing. It's all I knew. I was calling out to God. I didn't know. I had never read that part of the Bible that said, don't repeat prayer like that. It's a waste of your time. Be honest. Be upfront. Don't do that thing. Don't do that repetition. I didn't know. What I did know is I was seeking for help. And I went straight to heaven for it. And you know what? He answered it. He delivered me. Go figure. Didn't know what the heck I was doing, except I was beating my breast, saying, I need help here, or I'm literally going to jump off a bridge shortly. I can't take this anymore. I'm not going to do this anymore. And he answered my prayer. What does that say to me as a 50-year-old pastor who's been in the ministry for over a decade now? It said he, he looked at my motivation. God saw my heart. My words were goofy. It's probably like, you know, that's the groaning, the spirit interceding for us, groaning, poor guy. <laughs> it's like, oh, here we go again. Now we've got to go through these nine novenas. I'm just kidding. I'm trying to make light. Right? God saw my heart. Obviously didn't know what the, what the heck I was talking about, uh, but he saw my heart and he delivered me. What is your motivation? Honestly, what is your motivation for being here this morning? And don't say, well, now after this message... Before you got here, when you came into the parking lot, what was your thought? Why were you here? Here's some encouraging scripture to orient us to thoughts that sanctify us. Go to Philippians 2, verse 1. Philippians 2, verse 1. God sees the heart, my friends. He sees your motivation. Philippians 2, verse 1. Here's some encouragement to orient ourselves. Philippians 2, 1. So, if there is any encouragement, and by the way, that's not like a, well, maybe there is, no, it's, you could almost translate that since. So, since, you see? If or since there is any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from love, any participation in the Spirit, any affection and sympathy, complete my joy being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. I was just thinking of Joey and Andrea. They got a little baby coming soon. 
their first priority is that new human. Bye. It's been nice knowing you too, as you are. It's baby first now. It's the way it is. Count others more significant than yourselves. That's our calling. Why are you here? If that's not on your heart, something is disoriented. Do you understand? I see Monica back there who's half crippled, no offense, right? After two weeks out of work, she's here. She's in the back because she got to stand up and down like a jack-in-the-box, right? She's been doing it all day. You guys don't see it. She's up and down, up and down. She stands in front of the guys in the back, says she's waving her arms. This is all a lie, right? But she's here. Why? To encourage you. I know that for a fact. To encourage you. To encourage me. There are other people. She's not the only one. There are other people that are sickly, that are hurting, but they're here. Hmm. Look at verse 4. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. Remember what the Spirit's been saying about this higher calling up here on the board. We have been called. In the context of this morning's message, we might say, don't just come to church for yourself. It's a good thing to learn the Word. Is there a sort of a selfness to it? Yeah, of course there is. You're learning the Word of God. But don't just come here for yourself, also for the sake of others, a la Romans 1.12. And sometimes, you know, you might not be even in the mood. It happens. You might not even be in the mood. You might be kind of grouchy or, I don't know, whatever. And you might be like, your, your, your personal reasons for being here are a little bit askew. But what, what brings you here is the love for others. You might say, you know what? I'm going to chalk this one up to a re-listen. I already know before I come through that door, there's a good possibility I'm going to have to listen to this one again. Why? Because I have a tood. I'm in a mood. Uh-oh. So I start rapping. Right? But I'm going to make it here for someone else. How about that? I'm going to walk through that door for someone else. Hmm. This echoes back to a practical principle we labored through last Sunday up here on the board. We're not going to go through this. We have been called. We ought to act the part. We're to act the part. Don't ask me why I just thought of this. Another share, maybe TMI. When we were kids, we used to all, the ex- I mean the extended my mother's family and her mother's family had huge Portuguese family. So we used to go to these Christmas things. And at the end of the Christmas thing was the matriarch. And she had a mustache. <laughs> and she wanted to love us. She wanted us to come show love for her, right? So what do we do? We went and kissed her. And then we went... She has a mustache. I don't care. You do it for her. How about that? She showed up in a wheelchair. You do it for her. You go kiss the mustache grandma. (laughs) What's my point? The point is I did it for someone else. My mother was encouraged. Do it for somebody else, Eddie. Do it for somebody else. That's how we're supposed to be. I know my personality can be grating at times. Some of you are like, I just don't like him. Okay. That's, I'm cool with it, honest to goodness. It's possible I don't like you either. How about that? It's very possible. Put it in context, right? Some of you are pretty difficult. Whatever. But I love you, and I'm here. And you're here. That's the point. We're supposed to act the part. We're family members. It was at this point in last Sunday's message that we took a giant step back to look at the big picture. Remember that the series is titled, The Lord is Our Confidence. And here's a string of pearls we were given last time. 
Humility, as always, is the key to the spiritual life. Applied humility is obedience. Obedience facilitates sanctification. Sanctification leads to confidence in Christ. We had a warning shot across the bow up here on the board. When we're obedient, we're confident. However, anyone or anything that incites us to disobedience ought to be categorically thrown out of our lives. Throw it out. People, situations, habits, uh, addictions even, throw it out. Get rid of it. Whatever is taking you away from the flock. And trust you, me, when I say this. Trust me. Every fiber of my being. When someone actually say, leaves this congregation and doesn't go to another church, another you know, well-run, uh, doctrinally sound church, doesn't do that, just leaves, uh, my friends, there were about five steps before that that I saw. It starts here. Do you understand? It starts here. Just because you're here doesn't mean you're here right now. That's what you're guarding against. That's what the Spirit's doing for you. Anything that takes this away from, focus on Christ, cut it off. I mean it. Cut it off. Because eventually, you'll be like some of these empty seats. That's where you're headed. Do not be seduced into that thing. Stop it in its tracks. Right here. Put a brick wall right there. You are not getting through this time. Put it up. And if you get weak, use the Word of God as the brick and mortar. Put it up. I'd rather see you, quote, there's no such thing when you have Christ on your side, but I'd rather see you lonely than friends with the enemy. I would rather live in a cave. He'd never call me to do that, I don't think than have crappy friends that could care less about Christ, that just really want to use me for who I am, for my amazing talents. You laugh, sorry. <laughs> I'm serious. Scott! Serious. Why this, why this, honestly, though, in context? Because our, our confidence depends on it. Our confidence depends on it. In fact, our conclusion from a close inspection of the Word of God is this. Disobedience destroys confidence. You want to lose your confidence? Disobey. Stated more plainly and practically and from personal experience and discernment even as a pastor. The most insecure, listen please, the most insecure people I know are the most disobedient. The most insecure people I know are the most disobedient. There's an entire portion of humanity called unbelievers. That's the first layer of insecurity. They're completely disobedient to the gospel. But then within the ranks of Christianity proper, within the ranks of believers, there's disobedience. And I see insecurity. I see it in myself, so I'm not judging. Wherever I'm insecure, it's because I'm disobeying somehow. I started straying, right? I'm looking, I'm looking at the great shepherd like, is he watching? Right? And there's some poisonous plant over here that's like winking at me. And I'm like, oh, that looks good for eating. I go like this, you know what I'm saying? He doesn't miss a beat. He's like, oh, here we go again. That's you. And you wonder why you're insecure. He's got his arms around us like this. Right? Like this. We abide in his love. When we choose to go outside of that experientially, we suffer. We become insecure. We lose our confidence. The corollary, of course, is the most confident people I know are the most obedient. 
That's the corollary. Put that statement on repeat in your soul for a few days and really give it some deep thought. Don't just make the fatal mistake of pointing fingers at others either. Ultimately, the Spirit wants you to look inside of yourself and identify all the areas of insecurity that you have and then make the connection to disobedience. That's what he wants. You might be asking, well, how do I go about doing that? How do I do that thing? Well, allow me to shepherd you for a moment with a little gentleness. And these are just examples that come up as I was preparing. Things worth think to get to prime the pump in your own life. I'm not saying you have a problem with any of these. Chances are you probably do. Maybe more than one. Maybe all of them. I don't know. That's between you and the Lord. But the idea is to be honest. Connecting disobedience with insecurity or otherwise known as lack of confidence. Suppose you're insecure with your intelligence. You know what? God says you're smarter than every atheist. Think about that. What are you worried about intelligence for? You could be working the most menial job of all time and still be a bazillion times more intelligent than an atheist. Why? Because you understand the truth. You've been given supernatural wisdom. How about financial status? If you're insecure about that, oh, I don't, you know, I'm not rich enough, I don't make enough money, I live in a, a, little, I live in a, a little house or a hubble or, I don't know, an apartment or something. God says you don't need any more. I'm going to go out on a limb and say, for some of you, you probably couldn't handle it. There's a reason for it. But that's between you and the Lord. Could be just, a t I don't know. But what are you worried about? What are you insecure about? Because you what? Don't have enough money by whose standards? God says you don't need any more. You, you're here. I mean, if you're here, right? Everybody here is dressed. Thank you very much. <laughs> most of you, I think, have showered. Thank you very much. Right? And definitely most of you have eaten. Because I see you back there. Right? So nobody has any real needs, do they? No. You're, you're miserable, you're insecure because of your wants. Your wants on being met. And guess what lie you're believing? How about looks? This one I've never understood. I've never personally related to. <laughs> I'm, what, you guys that slow for real? Tammy's the first, Tammy's going, hmm. <laughs> the point is, God sees the beauty in you. Really think that the world has a, the, corner, the market corner on looks, please. Reputation. What if you're insecure about reputation? God says you matter most to him. What do you care about what other people think of you? And how about faith? I don't have enough faith. I hear this one a lot. God says I gave you the word to solve that. Then dive headlong. Go right in. Hope you get the point. The solution to all of your insecurities and therefore the pathway to true confidence is perspective. As I wrote in this week's blog, Ephesians 5 states clearly that truth is light. Therefore, up here on the board, Ephesians 5.11, take no part in the unfruitful works of darkness, but instead expose them. So that little exercise, and I'm going to close here in a moment, that little exercise we just went through regarding insecurities was specifically regarding the unfruitful work or the works of darkness. The unfruitful works of darkness. That was that list. The fact that you're insecure about any of that is fruit of darkness. Up here on the board. If truth is light, then lies are darkness. Ah, so what does that mean? And this is what we'll close with. What does that mean? Why are you insecure? In any of that stuff or your own category. If truth is light, then lies are darkness. We can rightly conclude that the reason you have darkness in you, and therefore the fruit of it, like insecurities, is because you are riddled with lies. Let me say it again. The reason you have darkness in you, and therefore the fruit of it, something like insecurity, is because you are riddled with lies. Do you see the connective tissue here? When you go through this exercise, don't just identify your insecurities, 
pray to God for clarity on why and how those insecurities, otherwise known as the fruit of darkness, are there in the first place. Don't just identify them. Why? Why are they there? Stated more practically, pray to God to reveal the lies. To reveal the lie. I'm going to say it again. Pray to God to reveal the lies that you are bogged down with. That's the issue. When you live a life of lies, even unknowingly, you are living a life contrary to God's will. And by definition, anything against God's will is what we call a sin. Sin wreaks havoc in our lives. It's a disease, and it spreads like untreated cancer. That's what we are looking for in our souls, my friends. We are looking for the Word of God to shine light into darkness, to do as Paul wrote up here on the board, Ephesians 5.11, take no part in the unfruitful works of darkness, but instead expose them. Why are they there? Why? Why are you insecure? Why are you anxious? Why are you miserable? Why are you um, implacable? Why can't you be satisfied with life? Why can't you spend 10 minutes with yourself? Why do you self-loathe? That's another big one. Why do you self-loathe? Such is the importance of what we are doing here this morning. We asked that lofty question at the start of service. Why did God in His infinite wisdom bring us all here this morning to this church on this day? And it is a really good question, considering the fact that God has never made a mistake. Before we close, we can minimally say that it has to be, or that it has been, to shed light into darkness. That's why you've been called here this morning as part of your higher calling, to shed light into darkness, to have the word of truth extinguish the fruit of darkness. That is to have the truth displace the lies in our souls. This, my friends, is the primary component of sanctification. If you can bear with me just a couple of more moments, I want to go to one more passage. The beautiful thing, listen, the beautiful thing about sanctification is that it delivers you from awful, tragic things like insecurity and despair. Displacing the lies with the truth. That's what sanctification is. We show up to the table, some of us, 50, 60 years old, and that's when we get saved. Well, we've been out a lot of lies in there, don't we? And there's a lot of fruit of that darkness in our souls, and we're all confused. And we're miserable, insecure. About, you, you go on with the list. All things incongruent with abiding in God's love. All those lies have to be kicked out, scraped out. Sometimes we're white knuckling them, right? Right? I like that lie, though. Because in that lie, I'm awesome. This is an area of strength for me. Look at me. Look at how I talk. I'm awesome. It matters. That's the lie, right? That those things matter. <laughs> and so we white-knuckle them. We don't white-knuckle our weaknesses. We white-knuckle our strengths, right? Oh, but I'm so tired. I get that up. I mean, this has been, oh, man, this, I built my entire self-esteem. My whole reputation is based on this thing. It doesn't mean anything. You got to give that up. Give it up. Paul said, when I'm weak, then I'm strong. Again, the beautiful thing about sanctification is that it delivers you from awful, tragic things like insecurity and despair. And we'll close with Jesus' own words. Go to John 8.31. John 8.31. Here's why you're here, my friends. A lot of good labor. Some good singing. You guys sounded good this morning. All of it for this. John 8.31. So Jesus said to the Jews who had believed him, If you abide in my word, you are truly my disciples, and you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. Amen? Awesome. Let's bow our heads.
Dear Heavenly Father, thank you so much for this incredible privilege of studying your word here this morning. Thank you for the fellowship. Thank you for reminding us of the things that are regular in our lives, the habits, the routines, the constant reminders, Father, that you've got in place by grace, motivated by your love. We just ask for your blessings as we take the things we've learned back to the privacy of our own homes and then out to a world that's just decaying, Father. We ask this in Jesus Christ's precious name. By the power of the Spirit, we do pray. Amen.